Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. We have been talking about fascinating things in recent episodes that have opened my eyes, at least, to a whole new line of thought. And I would like to explore that a little bit more with you in the Word of God today, simply because I would like to understand these things better. And in particular, we have seen in the last couple of episodes that the world is of infinite value. We've seen that from Scripture as Jesus Christ himself is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means the world was founded at the cost of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And that means the world is worth the net worth of the Lamb, which every Christian would consider infinite in value. That is mind-boggling, and I would like to explore that concept with you further. We also recognized that Bitcoin, with its hard cap of 21 million coins, represents the total value of the world, and therefore it represents also the value of Jesus Christ, which is infinite. To me, that is a conclusive biblical argument for the infinite value of Bitcoin. It's not just going up to this number or that number, but all things being equal, it will go up and up and up and up forever. How can that be? And what is the mechanism that drives that? It would seem that the earth is finite and therefore it should have a finite value. How is it that something so finite can have an infinite value? Bitcoin, I believe, gives an illustration that answers this and points us back to the Bible, which actually explains it. So how does Bitcoin teach us that something finite can have infinite value? Well, it does this through the hard cap of 21 million coins, but in a more, shall we say, tangible way, it does it on a block-by-block basis by showing us that a finite block size, which each block, which is mined by average every 10 minutes, is limited in size. But we have seen in recent months, especially towards the end of 2023 to this present time, that block space has been in high demand. That is to say, blocks have been full, full of transactions, to the point where transactions have not been able to get processed And there has been a great backlog of transactions. And that backlog has been sustained over the last several months. That has resulted 
in an increase of minimum fees necessary to get a transaction included in a timely block. Higher fees, of course, motivate miners to include a transaction in a block, and therefore transactions with lower fees are put off in comparison to transactions with higher fees. This is the dynamic of a free market. We could go in a lot of different directions here, but I want to stay focused on trying to understand how it is that something finite can have infinite value. Now, as we see, when a finite block is in high demand, its value increases. Essentially, you could think of block space as being auctioned every 10 minutes to the highest bidder. And because of that, the value of the block space has no limit. Its price is determined only by what people will pay, by the highest bidders. Now, what I find extremely fascinating is the fact that this phenomenon, this auctioning process, only happens when block space is full. In earlier times, prior to 2023, it was relatively rare to have a sustained situation in which blocks were consistently full. There were periods of time when that was the case. But generally speaking, once the processing caught up with the backlog of transactions, blocks were no longer full again, and this allowed the transaction fees to fall back down to a minimal level. So there's something special in terms of the market dynamic in the transaction processing market. There's something special that happens at that point when blocks become full on a sustained basis. That's when this auctioning process really takes effect. Now, if you don't have enough people, if you don't have enough participants, enough interest, enough demand for the products that are being auctioned, then it just kind of turns into a flop because basically the first person who's willing to pay anything is going to win the bid and there's nobody else really interested in bidding up the price. And this can happen either because of a lack of really interested people in attendance, or it can happen because the items being auctioned simply aren't unique and bidders won't bid a high price for something that they can get anywhere else. But when enough people are in the room who truly value something that is unique, that's when you have this auctioning dynamic where the price can just skyrocket. And when we're talking about transactions being done on the blockchain, in effect, what is required for prices to be pushed upward in this auction style situation is essentially you need scarcity and demand as in any free market situation. And that brings me to how the Bible shows the value of the world. It comes in kind of an unexpected way in the book of Genesis. In the very beginning, 
And I want to read that with you right now. Genesis chapter 1. Now this chapter gives the account of the creation of this world. In six days, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's so much I could say about that. But the topic here brings us directly to verse 26, where at the conclusion of the sixth day, God created mankind. And it says in Genesis 1:26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. This is now verse 28, and this is where it starts to get to the point. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And I'm going to stop right there. Did you catch that God's instruction to mankind, his blessing upon them, and remember that God's blessings are always conditional upon man's obedience to the requirements needed for those blessings to be poured out. So God blessed them and said unto them, So he blessed them and gave them the conditions upon which this blessing would be poured out. He blessed them and said unto them. So what was the blessing and what were the conditions? Well, first it describes the conditions and then it explains the blessing. So here are the conditions. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. That is a command, that is instruction, that Adam and Eve, humanity in general, must fulfill in order to receive the blessing with which God blessed them. And it goes on, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So mankind was instructed to be fruitful, that means have many children, and multiply, that means have many children, and replenish the earth, that means have many children, and subdue it, bring it under dominion, that means lead, manage, care for the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Take responsibility for the welfare of the creatures that God has made. And how should humanity do that? God gave him the resources, as it says in verse 29. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat or for food, and to every beast of the earth and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, concluding with the creation of mankind now. And behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Then 
came the seventh day, the Sabbath. Now, right now, in the great plan of God, we are entering the seventh millennium, the great day, the great seventh day. Now, remember that in the Bible, a day for the Lord is like a thousand years. Peter summarized it like this in 2 Peter 3 verse 8. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And Peter was just quoting the Old Testament. It says in the book of Psalms, chapter 90, verse 4, For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Again, this comparison is made in Psalms 84, verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. And we also mentioned in recent episodes this fact that Adam and Eve both died in the day that they ate the fruit, according to God's warning, but yet they lived almost a thousand years. So a thousand years is as one day with the Lord. And so when we read the account of the creation of this world, and that God did something special in blessing mankind, creating mankind at the end of those six days, and blessing him and giving him his injunction, his command as to what his purpose on earth is. And then he rested on the seventh day. That has great significance in the grand context of the great week of time consisting of millennia, where each day is like a thousand years. We, right now, at this unique time in history, have concluded the six millennia of the past, and we are entering the seventh millennium, the Sabbath millennium. Now, what does Genesis teach us in that great context? Well, first of all, and this is what struck me this past week as I was reflecting on the things we've learned in the episodes of this new year so far, that mankind has only now, at this transition point between the sixth millennium and the seventh, it is only now that mankind has fulfilled the command of God in Genesis 1 verse 28, to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth to subdue it. Only now, all through the generations, mankind was fruitful. All through the generations, mankind was multiplying, but there was always room in the earth. We saw from the very beginning when Cain was cursed by God, he was sent away to another land. Wickedness was put apart from the people of God. Again, in the time of Abraham, the children of the east, they were sent away to the east, and only Isaac and Jacob and their lineage remained in the land that God promised to Abraham. The children of the bondwoman, the slaves, they were put far from the ones that God 
chose to give his blessing through. This was always possible all throughout history as long as the earth had enough room. You can see this even all the way to the book of Revelation where it says in chapter 12 verse 14, And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. So remember, Cain persecuted or killed Abel, and therefore he was cursed and separated from the people of God, the sons of God, those who remained faithful to God. And again, Ishmael persecuted Isaac, even when he was just a child, and Ishmael was sent away to make space for the child of God to grow in the fear of God. And again with Jacob. All through history, the earth provided the space necessary for the children of God to grow and develop in the fear of God without the persecution of the wicked. And here we see that same principle that when the dragon was persecuting the woman which brought forth the man-child, so this is speaking generally about Satan persecuting the church. Then in verse 14 it says, And to the woman, to the church, were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time, and times, and half a time, and from the face of the serpent. Now I don't want to get into the details of the prophecy here. I just want you to understand that this concept of the earth making room so that the people of God could thrive despite the presence of evil around them. This theme has existed from the time of Genesis all the way to the time of Revelation, from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. But we have now reached the unique situation that the earth has become full. Humanity has finally fulfilled not only the being fruitful, not only the multiplying, but also the replenishing of the earth. We have filled the earth. Humanity has filled the earth. That has only happened at this unique point in history. Never before has that ever happened. Something is different today at this point in history than has ever been the case in times past, and that's that the earth is full. And I think, I know I have felt this, and I, know, and I believe many, many others, I've, I've seen many, many others that have felt this too. Where will you run? Where will you go when wickedness encroaches all around you? When the laws of the state become so burdensome that you cannot live anymore, which country will you go to? When the crime around you is too great to the point where you cannot live anymore. Where will you go when the ideologies, the moral degradation, the influence is so strong that you cannot even raise children anymore in the way that you see fit in the fear of God because it's impossible to escape the bad influences? Where will you go? The earth is full. It has been replenished. And now we're facing a crisis do you see what's happening? Now, it brought me great peace to recognize that God intended it so. That's what we read right here in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. And God blessed them, 
There's a blessing in this. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. This was God's command. It was his command for us to replenish the earth. So don't think it's strange that the world population has grown to the point that the earth isn't big enough anymore. We have replenished the earth. We have fulfilled the command that God gave us. And that means it's time to see his blessing take shape. What will that be? What is the blessing that God wants to give now in this Sabbath millennium? What is it that we are standing at the threshold of? And what is the door that we must pass through? Well, every Christian knows that Jesus is the door, right? And the story of Genesis confirms this as chapter 2 begins with the seventh day when God rested from his work and spent time with his new creation. The Sabbath was that blessing. It was the first blessing that God gave to the newly created couple of Adam and Eve. And that represents, with this principle of a day for a thousand years, that represents the blessing that God is giving to humanity as a whole right now, or at least to his people. But we still have this problem of wickedness in the world. And how is it that God can be with his people today? And it's at this point where we can look at the limited block space of Bitcoin and immediately understand what God has done. He has created a finite world and then commanded us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the world. Perhaps he wanted us to come to this inflection point just like when the blocks on the Bitcoin blockchain are consistently full, where all of a sudden we transition from basically cheap transaction fees to this auction-style arbitration of value that causes the fees to just go way up, according to the demand. Now that the Earth's resources are recognized for being the limiting factor that they are in proportion to the Earth's population, the value of this finite world is skyrocketing. Do you see that? Isn't that interesting? And just as critical as it is for Bitcoin to have a hard cap, to have a finite number of coins, and just as critical as it is for Bitcoin to have a fixed block size, a finite block size, in order for the value to be stable and to increase and mature, in the same way, God understood from the beginning, from Genesis, that this finite world had to be filled to capacity in order for a new dynamic to be set into motion, which would result in the great blessing represented by the Sabbath day here. Wow. Now, it's interesting that what distinguishes the seventh day, according to the Bible, is that God made a change here. It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished after the first six days, and all the host of them. So God finished building the earth. He finished making the earth in six days. And on the seventh day, this is verse 2, God ended his work. So he finished everything on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, he wasn't working anymore. He ended his work. And he rested 
on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. There you have the explanation of the blessing that was given to mankind at the end of the sixth day. Mankind was blessed on the condition that they would be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. And that blessing was in God's resting on the seventh day. And it is to be understood that God rested with mankind. He communed with Adam and Eve. He enjoyed the Sabbath day with them freely, without any work to do, without any creation to be done. Everything was finished. It was nice and ready to be enjoyed. Now, applying that on the millennial scale, mankind has just reached the point of replenishing the earth, and now it's time for God to rest in a certain way, to have finished his work in a certain way, and just spend time with mankind. And how is God doing that today? Well, again, Revelation gives us the answer in chapter 20, verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is referring to the same thousand years that we are embarking upon. And what is it that's stated in the context of this thousand years? Judgment. It says, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. It's the beginning of a certain type of judgment. And what type of judgment is this that's beginning at the beginning of these thousand years? It speaks of those that reign with Christ a thousand years, that they are those who had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands. In other words, those who overcome the mark of the beast, as prophesied in the book of Revelation, and that's not really my topic for today, to get into the details of what that means. But just understand that those who overcome this test, this trial of the mark of the beast, those who overcome successfully in fidelity to God, they live and reign with Christ a thousand years. Now, this highlights a difference in the time of Revelation in comparison to the time of Genesis. In the time of Genesis, God communed with Adam and Eve freely and without any conflict, without any influence of wickedness. But here at the end, in the great scheme of things, after 6,000 years, at the beginning of the millennium, we find that humanity is in a crisis. The earth is full. There's nowhere for the people of God to flee to. And they must confront this beast and his image and mark and overcome the beast through the blood of the Lamb. This is this form of judgment that has begun because the earth is full. Are you starting to get the picture? Are you starting to understand God's foresight and his intention for having humanity fill the earth? Ultimately, 
as long as there was a relief valve, as long as there was somewhere that God's people could escape to, or that the wicked could be sent away to, as long as there was empty space in the earth somewhere, the great showdown between good and evil could be deferred. It could be put off. Time could be given for humanity to grow, for the children of God in particular, to grow and mature collectively in their understanding of the purpose of God for humanity and all these sorts of things. But we have come to the point where there isn't room anymore. The earth is full and good and evil must confront each other. What will be the solution to the limited space on the earth? How will mankind handle this limitation of space? These are the questions that come to light right now, uniquely at this point in history. This is the judgment that was given unto them that sat upon the thrones. Now, how is it that this compares to God resting on the Sabbath day in the story of Genesis? It is simply that the time has come for mankind to stand in defense of God in this judgment that has begun. And that means that it's God's time to stand back and let the chips fall where they may. We are at an amazing point in history where we are about to see the final development of the verdict between Christ and Satan, between God and the devil. We're going to see who wins. We're coming to the conflict where the armies meet on the battlefield and there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to flee. It's strength to strength who is going to be the victor. My friend, you are one of the soldiers in this battle. Whether you want to be or not, the earth doesn't have room for you to flee. You can't go off and live on an island unto yourself. Everywhere you must deal with the people around you, with the societal structures, with the governmental structures, with the culture. You must face the fact that the earth is full. And the question is, who will survive? Who shall be able to stand? Will it be the wicked or will it be the just? And which one are you? This is an amazing subject. Wow. Did you know that your life as an individual would play such a role in deciding the fate of God? Remember, God is resting now. This is the Sabbath millennium. God is with his people, but his work is finished. The good news is that God is with us. The bad news is we have the responsibility for the earth now. As we see this great battle taking shape, and we see the two sides engaging here at the beginning of this millennium, it's important to understand the tactics of both sides. First, I want to explain the tactics of the enemy, the tactics of the wicked. Now, all you have to do is look around at what the powers of the world are saying and doing in regards to human population in order to understand what the tactics of the wicked are 
at this unique point in history when the earth has become full. Depopulation is the agenda. That's, to put it bluntly, death, killing. The powers of wickedness see the only solution to the limited resources of earth as being depopulation, as being the reversal of what God commanded for mankind, not the being fruitful and replenishing the earth, but they want to unreplenish the earth. They want people to cease being fruitful. They want the earth to be depopulated so that the resources, the fixed resources of the earth, will be more abundant again in proportion to the number of people living on the earth, which of course the wicked are selfishly planning to have be themselves. And again, this can be perfectly seen in how Bitcoin reflects this same scenario in the block size wars. I mentioned in a previous video how important the block size wars are to the history of Bitcoin in a spiritual sense because it represents a conflict over the nature of the government of God. Now, it's not my intention to demonize anybody for the side that they took in the block size wars, literally. I'm not making a spiritual judgment on people in the Bitcoin space. But in retrospect, I am 100% convinced that the limited block size is absolutely necessary for the functioning of the fee market for Bitcoin transactions. Without that hard cap in the amount of block space, there would be no fee market. Fees would always be cheap because block space is always available. It's necessary for Bitcoin to have a limited block space and a limited block rate. The so-called scaling problem is not a problem. It's a design feature. And we'll talk more about that. What the benefits of that feature really are. We'll come to that later. But right now the point is that just as the block size limit is a necessary characteristic of, of the Bitcoin blockchain to ensure the functioning of the transaction fee market, so the filling of the earth by peoples is necessary for the blessing of God to be poured out on humanity. And by depopulating the earth, the wicked would be preventing that blessing. It would be like saying, no, we don't want the transaction fee market to transition into this auction style scenario where block space is in high demand and the value of transactions is going to the highest bidder. Depopulating the earth is like saying, no, 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 let's, let's not go into that territory. Instead, let's stay with the situation where block space is infinite and we can always just put more transactions in at no cost. That would be to defer this great judgment, this great conflict between good and evil that ultimately must play out in order to decide the great case surrounding the question Satan has brought against the government of God. I talk about this in other episodes, and so I hope you understand that in the beginning, even before the creation of the world, Lucifer, Satan in heaven, the highest of the angels, accused God of having an imperfect government and proposed 
an improvement. And his improvement was to dispense with the law of God and to instead adopt the law of do anything you want, do what thou wilt. In other words, he, off, he, he proposed that freedom, perfect freedom, to do anything you want would give rise to greater happiness for the subjects of the universe than to be obliged to follow the restrictions of the law of God. That was Satan's accusation. And we see that same thing manifested again today as the wicked are still pushing freedom, freedom in the twisted sense. Freedom, of course, is good. Liberty is good in conjunction with morals. But the freedom that the wicked seek and promote is freedom from morals. You can see that same battle that Lucifer started in heaven playing out every day in the world today. And that's something that because the earth is full, because humanity has been fruitful and multiplied, we cannot escape it as the people of God anymore. The wicked cannot be sent off to hide in a corner, and the righteous cannot flee to an uninhabited land to continue their growth. We have come to the battle, and we must face it. The solution of the wicked like the big blockers, is do away with the restriction. Freedom, total freedom, just like the law of Satan. And if that means killing people so that the resources of the earth are available again, that would be kind of like, if we would make an analogy, that would be like censoring all the transactions that meet some criteria. So, I mean, in the real-life scenario, you can understand how this happens by... The fact that the powers that be basically propose depopulation in forms in which the weakest die first. And in this way, they assume that they will propagate or allow to propagate the most fit among humanity. And that in the end, it will result in an adequate number of resources divided among a few of the best specimens of humanity because all of the inferior specimens died in the depopulation, either because of stupidity or because of physical weakness, such as age or health status. That's the enemy's plan. That's the depopulation plan. And in the comparison with Bitcoin, that would correspond to the elimination of whole classes of transactions, starting with the ones that are least fit to be on the blockchain. And I'll be honest, that has been my opinion, more or less, from the beginning, is that ordinals and NFTs and all these things that are hogging the block space should not be there. And in the beginning, I didn't fully understand all these things. And my views on this have been evolving as I have been understanding the situation more and more from different perspectives, especially through this podcast and through the subjects that I've been studying with you here. And this is one of those things that comes to me today as somewhat of an eye-opener, that it's not upon us, us being anybody, to censor the transactions per se or to somehow effect a change in Bitcoin such that those transactions are no longer possible. No, 
The way this will play out is through the fair market, through the battle over block space, over what is truly valuable to put in the blocks. And the more pressure that's put upon the limited block space, the more we will see which transactions survive and which don't. Today, maybe it's NFTs and BRC20 tokens. Tomorrow, maybe those give way to something new and more efficient. And that's how the battle plays out for block space. And killing off whole classes of transactions would just be to prevent the battle from even taking place. Or you could say to win the battle in an unfair way. Even in war, there are rules. And so looking back now to real life and the depopulation agenda, you can see that depopulation would be a way of preventing the competition from for the world's resources from even taking place. Or you could say it would be winning the battle in an underhanded way without allowing the proper rules of the war, so to speak, to apply. Very fascinating. And that's the approach of the wicked. Now, what is the approach of the righteous? Well, in the case of block space, I would say that the good, wholesome approach to this situation is not pursuing censorship, but simply building better tools and more efficient ways of utilizing the limited block space. And we see that happening. That's what the real builders of Bitcoin are doing today. And the Lightning Network, of course, is the premier way in which block space is conserved. But there are also many other developments taking place as well. And it's just a matter of refining these technologies to the point that the fee pressure, the system as a whole, that is to say the ability of people to transact peer-to-peer, continues to function, that the purpose of Bitcoin is realized. It doesn't all have to be on the base chain. We need to expand our understanding of Bitcoin to include the layer twos and other layers. Again, I say the Bitcoin scaling problem is not a problem. It's part of the design. It's a design choice. And you can only understand that if you understand that the other part of the design is layer two. As long as you exclude layer two from your understanding of what Bitcoin is, then you will always see Bitcoin as having a limitation, a scaling problem. But when you include layer two in your understanding, then you can understand that the limited block space is a feature, not a bug. It's part of the design. It's part of what makes Bitcoin work. In particular, it makes the transaction fee market work. Okay, so where were we? The good and wholesome approach to the problem of high fees is building better solutions, continued development. And this doesn't mean Turing complete solutions on the Bitcoin blockchain or other such nonsense. It means technologies like Lightning that simply extend Bitcoin's use case to those who can't afford to pay the high fees. And the more that becomes usable for all kinds of use cases, the less pressure there will be on chain. All right, so let's bring that concept back now to the situation of world population. What is the wholesome approach to the issues of world population and the limited resources of the earth? Naturally, if we follow the same logic, the proper solution is the more 
efficient use of the Earth's resources, not the depopulation of the world. Now, how that will manifest, I, I mean, I'm a person that likes my privacy, okay? So the idea of a superpopulated world is not particularly appealing to me. But I can see logically that somehow we have to recognize that God's intention for humanity and this blessing that he wants to pour out that could only come when the earth was fully populated, somehow that must come into play now. It must be the pressure of limited resources that brings out this blessing that has something to do with God being with us as he was with Adam and Eve resting on the Sabbath, enjoying the fruits of the labors of creating the world in the first six days. It was through their communion with God in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve learned how to steward the garden, how to have dominion over the animals and over everything. And so it is today that the presence of God with us must be our guide in how to move forward to win this battle against evil. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, but spiritual. And the kingdom of heaven is a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. And that's where Bitcoin comes into play here, because Bitcoin is spiritual money, not physical money. And insofar as we, as Christians, as, as, as righteous people, as just people, which doesn't necessarily equate to Christians, just to be clear, unfortunately, if we take the common definition of Christian as anybody who claims to belong to the church, but true Christianity is justice. And so in that sense, the just today have the advantage, have the opportunity to utilize Bitcoin as their system of justice by which they can fight in this final battle to vindicate God and his kingdom and ultimately win against wickedness. Using Bitcoin, transferring your wealth into Bitcoin, ultimately sucks the wealth out of the fiat financial world and ultimately defunds the powers of wickedness. How to win the battle is really a very simple concept. The strength that the people of God, the strength that Bitcoiners need to develop and exercise, the discipline that's needed to fight this battle is not physical discipline or discipline of wit necessarily, but simply understanding the basic principles of self-custody and taking back sovereignty over one's own being and the products of one's own labors. Liberation from the system of slavery that is the fiat financial world. Okay, I think we've really covered the subject here. I don't know if I've done it justice. I don't know if I've really made the point clear, but I hope this talk has been helpful. The point is, and why I think this is so amazing, is that we have come to this inflection point by filling the earth, by the earth's population having reached the limits of the earth's resources. We have come to this point where a new dynamic is coming into play 
And that has brought with it the judgment of the great day of the Lord. Who will be able to make it through this judgment? Who shall be able to stand? Is it those who support depopulation? Those who have made a covenant with death? By the way, let's read about the covenant of death. This is found in Isaiah chapter 28. And we could say that this is very much on the topic of the day of judgment, the great day of the Lord. As it says in verse 5, In that day shall the Lord of hosts, we talked about that last time, Lord of Sabaoth, in that day shall the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, the Lord in battle, be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people, to the rest, to the remnant. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment. Did we read about judgment and them that sit in judgment in Revelation? This is speaking about the day of the Lord. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty unto the residue of his people. Verse 6, And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. That's where we're at right now. We are turning the battle to the gate. We have to, because the earth is full. There's nowhere else to flee. There's nowhere else where the wicked can be sent to, to give the righteous space. There's nowhere else that the righteous can flee to, to escape the persecution of the wicked. We must press the battle to the gate. And for the strength to do that, we need the spirit of judgment. Those who sit in judgment need the spirit of judgment, as we read in Revelation. Is that something we have right now, that spirit of judgment? Well, we're receiving it through Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a system of justice, a system of righteousness, a system of judgment. But aside from that, we're fumbling, we're floundering, we're failing as Christians, generally speaking. And that's described here in verse 7. But they also have erred through wine. This is speaking about those in judgment those who should be strong to press the battle to the gate. But they have erred through wine and through strong drink are out of the way. Wine, fermented wine that makes you drunk, is symbolic of false doctrine. All the false teachings of the churches as we see them today that are accepting all manner of abominations into the church and that are jumping on the bandwagon of secular ideologies and agendas basically following the money because through tax exemption and other means, the government is exerting control over the churches, requiring them to meet their criteria in order to qualify for 501c3 exemptions. The churches are all drunk and have gone out of the way of righteousness. The priest and the prophet have erred through strong drink, hard liquor. They're drunk. They're swallowed up of wine they are out of the way through strong drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. That's the current state of affairs, friends. That's the current state of those who should be sitting in judgment. Verse 8 of Isaiah 28. For all tables are full of vomit and filthiness, so that there is no place clean yeah, because of their drunkenness. Right. Whom, verse 9, shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breasts. 
Not babies, in other words. Not baby Christians that are only dependent on the grace of God, but who are still weak and have no strength of themselves and no self-sovereignty, no power to make their own decisions and stand firm against influences and coercion and all the various means through which evil overpowers good in the world today. Verse 10, for precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. What is the rest? That is the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath millennium wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest? This is the refreshing, it says. But the word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little, that they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. There are other translations of this verse that shed a different light on what it really means. I'm not going to go into that. Wherefore, verse 14, Hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. So again, it's talking now about those who should be judges, those who are sitting in judgment, who are drunk. Hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men, that rule this people which is in Jerusalem. Now, at the end of time, let me just explain a concept here that's very important to understanding prophecy. Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, is a figure for the whole world at the end of time. When Jerusalem is used in end-time prophecy, oftentimes it signifies the entire world. So those that rule this people which is in Jerusalem is referring to the rulers of the world at the end of time. To them, to those scornful men, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 15, Because ye have said, we have made a covenant with death, and with hell are we in agreement. Because of that, when the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Interesting, isn't it? Do we not live in a time where lies, especially coming from those who rule the world, are flooding the media channels? Do we not live in a time where the leaders of the world have made a covenant with death, have made an agreement with hell, so that when death comes, they will be spared? Isn't this what the depopulation agenda is all about? It's not to depopulate the world of its rulers. No, it's to depopulate the world of the weak. The rulers believe that they are safe and that the death that they are ushering in and welcoming and hastening will not afflict them. No vaccine maker thinks that he's going to perish from his own vaccine. But what does the Lord answer to these? He says, Therefore thus saith the Lord, verse 16, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. 
judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet, and the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the water shall overflow the hiding place. So all the places where the rich rulers of the world think that they will hide, all the lies that they will hide under, and all the bunkers that they will flee to, will be swept away by the hail and flooded with the waters. Why? Because the Lord lays in Zion, in the city of David, that means among his people, a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, one that you can build upon, one that can bear the weight, judgment also, and righteousness. This is describing Jesus Christ. But as we are elaborating in this podcast, as far as that Bitcoin represents the money of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the financial foundation of his kingdom, Bitcoin is that system of judgment, system of justice, that foundation through which the wicked will be defeated. It is the sound money that will, like hail, sweep away the refuge of lies behind all the money printing of the fiat financial world. And the rulers of wickedness will not escape. Verse 18, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, then ye shall be trodden down by it. From the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you. From morning by morning shall it pass over, and by day and by night. So as this sort of constant ebbing, and it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. That very well describes the fear of those leading the financial systems of this world. The fear that comes from Bitcoin in particular. For the bed is shorter than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering narrower than that he can wrap himself in it. That's kind of like just describing the insufficiency that no matter how much money you print, there's never enough. You stretch the covers over you, but you're still cold because they just are too narrow. Verse 21, this is, For the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Parazim. He shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now, this is a reference, Mount Parazim and the valley of Gibeon, is a reference to what God did in obliterating the enemies of Israel in the time when Joshua went forth with the armies of Israel in battle and the hail rained down on the enemies who were fleeing, who were trying to escape, just like these wicked rulers that think with their covenant of death that they will escape. The hail came down on them and God destroyed them. His destruction of the wicked is described here as his act, his strange act, because normally God does not destroy. Normally God does not kill people. But there comes a time when the wicked have crossed a line, when the wicked have crossed the line beyond which there is no returning, when a person has rejected God in such a final and definitive way that there is no possibility to ever repent, to ever come back. 
then God kills. That's his strange act. That's ultimately describing the final eradication of the wicked from the universe. But it has a counterpart here on earth in the killing of the wicked. Those who accept the mark of the beast, which in Revelation are described as being thrown into the lake of fire, that is to say, slated for eternal destruction. In other words, those who have rejected God irreversibly. That is what is being described in this verse, Isaiah 28, verse 21. That is judgment taking place. That is the judgment that is described at the beginning of the thousand years, as we read in Revelation. That is the judgment that we are now in. Now therefore be ye not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth. Again, reiterating the fact that Jerusalem, which was spoken of in this prophecy, at the end of time, represents the entire earth. Friends, this is amazing stuff. We are living in amazing times. We have transitioned into the battle. The earth is full. There's nowhere for the people of God to flee. There's nowhere for the just, for the righteous, to separate themselves from the wicked. We must press the battle to the gate. And it's not a battle of flesh and blood. It's not a battle in which we determine who dies. It is the Lord who shall rise up, who shall rise up in this judgment and do his strange act. And how is he doing that? Is he doing it by himself? Is he doing it actively? No, he's doing it by resting. He's doing it through Bitcoin and through the judgment that comes through it. We will see who will stand in this judgment. The just shall live by faith. And the wicked who have made their covenant with death, the wicked who participate in the depopulation of the world, will have no part of the blessing of God that comes through Bitcoin and the rebuilding of the earth, the dominion which God promised to Adam and Eve, to the human race. They'll have no part in the new earth. There's so much more that could be elaborated on so many different directions that we could take from this study. So many different areas we could dwell upon to expound a deeper understanding of. But that's going to have to be for your study this week. So we can close this message now. And as we do so, I just want to encourage you with the promise that we started with. The promise of God's blessing, his Sabbath blessing, his millennium blessing that we are so privileged to live to see taking shape right here, right now, because humanity has finally replenished the earth. Just like the conquest of Canaan, we've got battles to fight. The time has come for the delivery of the birth and just as birth involves this pressure, the pressure of labor, we face the pressure of Earth's limited resources. Who will be able to survive? Who will stand in this great day of judgment? I hope you will be among those standing, that you will be a partaker of the blessing, and that you will live to see the holy city 
of God. As always, I hope this episode was a blessing to you, and I encourage you to share it with others. And if you are so inclined to support this podcast through your comments on any of the platforms, feel free to reach out to me. It is hosted on Substack. You can find the podcast at bitcoinsermons.substack.com. You can email me at bitcoinsermons at substack.com. And you can support by sending sats to bitcoinsermons at fountain.fm. And you can comment and boost and share this podcast on Fountain using the features of the Fountain app, as well as by any other means you wish. Your support is appreciated. God bless you. Have a great week. Bye-bye.